Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the 10 to Track, our weekly world match previews podcast. I am your host, Soccer Noob. Yeah, I've only been following for a few years, but you know what? You're going to find out you can learn a lot from a noob, potentially. Helping me out along the way is my nine-year-old daughter and co-host, Person Noob. Hello! Hey, I'm comparatively new to uh, following soccer. She's comparatively new to being alive as a human being. It's a branding issue. In any case, we mini-preview 10 big, important matches from around the world, but we define big and important our way. We tend to focus on first versus second place matchups. Uh, that's our majority fair, if you will, but we'll go to any top flight league in the world, whether it's big or small, any confederation. We also do FA Cup and other cup matches, and not just club stuff, but international matches as well, as you'll find out. This week, we're going to be covering games from Friday the 9th of April through 4.15, that's a Thursday. With no further ado, let's dive into it with... March number one! We always order things chronologically here instead of geographically, so we get to earn our frequent flyer miles. We start off by jetting off to match number one to the UAE, United Arab Emirates. This is their League Cup. That is as opposed to the Premier League or the FA Cup. It is going to be being played in Sharjah, a neutral site this year. This is the number seven AFC League, just so you have some perspective on where they are in the Confederation. And it may be somewhat important to know that there's only three matches left in the league's regular season and that the top three teams all get Champions League berths. Now, in this event, there have only been top division or what they call the professional league teams there. They used to do this on a group stage format, but uh, now it's been uh, shortened, probably due to COVID, maybe due to match congestion. There's no international berth on the line for this, just like there aren't typically in league cups in Europe. Uh, the defending champions coming into this event were Sharjah, that is not just the name of a town, but uh, also a club. They got a buy into the quarterfinals, uh, just like last year's league winners, Al Nasser, but uh, they lost in their very first uh, game to Al Wassel. So your final this year, and it is a repeat of last year's final, is Shabab Al Ali taking on Al Nasser. A little bit about each. Al-Ali, they are known as the Red Knights. The name, if you're uh, not strong on Arabic, I'm not, but I'm trying to get there in little tiny bits and pieces, basically translates to National Youth. Uh, this is a team that is uh, playing out of Dubai. It's a very young club. If Even if you follow Asian football at all, you may not recognize the name because the club was sort of founded just in 2017 when two really big and good clubs and rivals, Dubai, CSC, and Al-Shabaab, merged, which did not make most fans of the country very happy. I gather it's very loosely akin to like Man City and Man United teaming up to form a super club. They don't get to go to the Champions League for the first three seasons in their existence, so that's going to come to pass soon. So these cups are a bigger deal for them, I would imagine. They, in fact, won the 2019 uh, version of this event. And interestingly, because no other team from this country has done it, uh, Alele here are partnered with La Liga. Uh, they're uh, sharing some things for coaching training, and the junior teams are going to get invited over uh, to Europe in La Liga for uh, junior tournaments. Last year, this team was in first place when the season was abandoned, and uh, this is why there are just three matches left and three teams are going to get into the Champions League. I believe that this year, if they finish in the top three, that next year they get to start playing in the Champions League, and the Red Knights are in third place right now, and only one point up on the next two teams in the table. So, will they risk playing all their starters, or will they rest up a fair number of them remains to be seen for that league battle. Uh, in their league, uh, their bread gets buttered on offense. They have the second best one in the league. They're just tied for fifth on defense. Uh, to qualify for the final, they beat Al-Wassel 5-1 on aggregate. Semifinals were a two-legged affair. The final is not. That's just going to be a one-off. Tied for second place in scoring in this event, the player to watch for, I believe, will be Brazilian Igor Jesus. He is a forward. And if he's not familiar to you at all, well, he will be very soon. Not just from this match, obviously, either. He's just 20 years old, and uh, he has played in Brazil. Uh, last year, he was with a club called Cortiba, and they got relegated. And he's been linked as part of a 10 or 11 million uh, pound or dollar deal to Premier League club 
Everton, I would have to think that he's going to be moving on. Meanwhile, your challengers, Al Nasser, their nickname is the Dean, uh, in Arabic that translates to the word victory. They are also located in Dubai, but not really Dubai proper in the same way. They're in a little bit more of a suburb or residential locality. Uh, they last won the league title uh, over a decade ago. Last year, they finished just number six in the league. This year, not much better, number five. So they will probably be playing all their starters and going for a trophy perhaps giving them the advantage. Uh, their strength is on the other side of the ball. They have a third best defense, but a slightly below average offense for the league. Also, they qualified to get here in a shootout, oddly enough, given that I just said that they're uh, not real strong on offense. They beat a club called Kalba 3-3 three to three, and then had to win 7-6 uh, to six in uh, penalty kicks for the semifinal. League, uh, on the league scoring leaderboard. They don't have anybody for the event, but the best offensive guy to probably watch for for them is uh, dual national uh, United Arab Emirates and uh, originally Argentinian, but he's been playing here and been naturalized since 2010. 36-year-old striker Sebastian Tagliabu. And if his name is familiar to you, it's going to be our second Everton reference of this match mini preview. He played for them in 2008. Match number B. Thank you, dearest daughter, Persanoob, for reminding us all that it's just uncouth to say number two. That's bathroom talk. Here at Team Noob, we go with match number B. Join the quiet revolution. Viva la number B. In any case, on to our match. It is a women's friendly, the first of two actually this week, but we're only going to talk about one for the U.S. women's national team. They are off to uh, Sweden to take on the women's team there. They're going to be playing the game in Stockholm, which my understanding is that's actually going to be in the stadium where the men's national team there usually plays. The women typically play uh, their matches at a stadium in, I don't know if it's Gothenburg or Gothenburg for the pronunciation, but that's where. Now, plenty of podcasts can give you plenty of information and are going to be going to about the U.S. women's national team. I am noob. It's not just a character. It's my life. I won't pretend to be able to do a deeper dive into the formations and tactics and guessing who they play and who they won't and why it's important for the U.S. women's team. All that is out there for you. In these instances, I like to give a mini preview on the opponents so you know folks and things to know about and watch for from the other side. The Sweden women, the Swedish women's national team. They are rated number five in the world, number four in UEFA. The U.S. women, as I'm sure you can guess, is number one. Internationally, they've had some successes. In the 2003 World Cup, they finished uh, in second place. They've also got three second-place uh, European Championship finishes. Most recent one of those was even a little bit further back, 2001. But that said, they have had recent success as well. They finished in third place in the 2019 World Cup. How have they been doing more recently? Uh, late 2020, uh, they were uh, playing matches for the 2022 Women's European Qualifications, and <clears throat> or European Championships, rather, qualifiers. They beat Slovakia at their place, 06, and then they hosted Iceland and beat them 2 to nothing. And then uh, just last month, they had a couple of friendlies. They went to Malta and won nil three, and they also beat Austria 1-6. to So they've been uh, picking up right where they usually leave off. They have played the U.S. women's team a mess of times historically and not done terribly well, to be honest. They are 7-11-23 all-time against the Americans. I believe a recent uh, call-up is going to be key for them. Not that this is her first time with the national team, but I gather that she sort of yo-yos or bounces in and out or at least have once. In any case, she is a striker. Her name is Fridolina Rolfo. She plays for one of the top three big clubs in uh, Germany in the uh, Frauenbundesliga there, VFL Wolfsburg. Uh, she's had 11 goals for them and 46 appearances over a couple seasons. And she's been scoring very well recently with a couple of goals. And that's why I think she's going to be our uh, potential woman of the match if Sweden can manage to pull up an upset. Good luck to everybody. Match number three. I believe I forgot to mention that that match number B is a Saturday match, as is our next one. Match number three takes us to Spain's La Liga for El Clasico. Number B in the standings, Barcelona. Now you get the number B versus number three, Real Madrid. And the standings are really, really tight. Atletico Madrid are actually the ones who are in the lead. They have 66 points in the table. Barcelona are number two, just a point back. And then two more points back, we find today's visitors, Real Madrid. 
And guess what? As I often do when it comes to the biggest leagues, and just like I did with the women's national team from the U.S., I'm not going to give you a mini preview. You probably know more about El Clasico than I do. If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably been following the sport longer than I have, so this is one of the fun things I like to do. Incorporate incorporate rather uh, information about culinary dishes, because this is part of why I like learning about soccer. I like to learn about the world, whether it's history, geography, culinary things, art, architecture, doesn't matter, through soccer. In this case, I'm hungry, let's talk food. Which do you think would be the winner between these two mighty fine classic dishes from these two areas? Barcelona, one of the most emblematic foods that you can have there is called escalivada, which are uh, smoky grilled vegetables, uh, typically consists of a roasted eggplant, bell peppers, and with olive oil primarily. Sometimes you'll throw in onion, tomato, minced garlic, and even a little bit of salt in uh, certain combinations depending on your taste. How is it cooked? Well, if you know Spanish, and I know a little but didn't happen to recognize this word, uh, escalivada directly refers to the verb for to cook something in ashes. That is the traditional preparation. Now, and perhaps more commonly in modern times here, what uh, folks will tend to do is they'll actually char the eggplant on a gas burner and then they'll broil the other vegetables. One of the nice things about this is you can serve in any number of ways. You can have it as tapas. It's also often used because it's so smoky as a great relish for grilled meats, uh, fish and tuna as well. It, you can uh, serve it in a salad with anchovies and olives, or you can use it as a topping for coca, which is a Catalan flatbread. So in that instance, you're making something uh, very loosely akin to a pizza, but I would hesitate to just flat out call it that. Meanwhile, your challengers out of uh, Madrid, if not precisely the club Real Madrid, uh, one of the emblematic dishes from that area, cocido uh, madrileño. It is a chickpea or garbanzo-based stew. It's actually not quite as popular this time of year. This is more of a comfort food that's popular in the winter. I liked a little bit of the history about this. This is a dish uh, that was based on a Sephardic Jewish dish that was made with eggs and had no pork in it at all. But because of all the anti-Semitism going on in like the uh, 14th and 15th centuries, that changed and pork started to be added. In fact, that was one of the ways that if you were a Jew and being forced to convert that you could uh, prove, quote unquote, that you were converting was by adding pork to this uh, new version of the dish. In any case, uh, again, it's chickpea based. The other main vegetable is potatoes in there but also oftentimes you'll find cabbage, uh, carrots, turnips, even in some cases, uh, green beans, chard, or one that I wasn't familiar with at all, cardoon, which is sort of a artichoke floral thistle plant that I gotta be honest, I looked at pictures and well, colorful, didn't look very appetizing, but you can try that if you'd like. One of the most interesting things about the dish beyond the history has to do with the pork. Uh, you can use fresh pork, you can use cured pork, but if you wanna be really, really traditional about it, you've gotta cure it to the, the point that it is almost rancid. I would say for me, that's a no thank you, but I would try a bite of it once. <laughs> and interestingly, even though it's a stew, traditionally the ingredients are served separately as opposed to uh, more traditionally in America or in other areas where you would serve it as a stew, as in all in one bowl or all mixed together on the plate. They mix them all in the same pot and then they actually serve them separately. So enjoy whichever one that you might happen to make for while you're watching this game or in the future. Match number four. Another Saturday match, and we're headed back to Asia, to Iran specifically, for an AFC Champions League qualification final match. And basically what that means is there's a bunch of matches going on, and it's not two legs, it's winner take all, win, and you're into the Champions League proper. The match we've chosen to look at this week is Fulad out of Iran versus Al Ain out of... We're Going to be talking once again about the United Arab Emirates. A little bit about each foulah. They are known as the Men of Steel. Uh, that's based on the fact that the uh, ownership of the company is directly tied to a steel corporation. Now, there are six really, really big leagues in Japan, and then there's something of a gap in quality, and uh, Iran is rated number six in the AFC. 
This particular team plays in the town of Awaz, where the match will be hosted since they are from the higher-ranked League, Confeder uh, League Federation and in the uh, Emirates, or not Emirate, but the province of Khuzestan. This is uh, the most southwesterly province in the country. The city has about one and a half million people. If it rings a bell for you in any way, shape, or form outside of football, it might be because back only a decade ago, and here's to hoping it's improved, the oil industry had made sure that this was one of the most polluted cities on the entire planet. Yikes. In any case, the footy, this team has two league titles to their credit. Most recent one was in 2013-14. Uh, they qualified for this event by finishing in third place last year. Had they finished any higher, I believe they would have gotten to start right out in the group stage. This year in the league, they are in fourth place, and they're seven points uh, behind third place Estaglal, one of the league powers. And so it's not looking like they're going to get a Champions League spot, at least for the moment. The problem has been on offense. They've got a below-average offense for that league this year, but the defense has been making up for it. They have the second-highest-ranked defense. Therefore, I believe that the man to watch for in this one will be their goalkeeper. He is tied for the second-best statistically in uh, Iran, Mohsen Faruzan. He's a, a veteran in his 30s, and he has spent his entire career playing for clubs uh, in his home country. Meanwhile, back to the UAE, to Al Ain. They play in the Abu Dhabi Emirate. Uh, the club name uh, simply means the spring. And uh, give you an idea where this is geographically, this is a border town inland, and it borders right on the country of uh, Oman. This is the largest inland city in the country, about 800,000 people. It's known as the Garden City. And in part of that sort of ecologically conservative or uh, friendly outlook that they have, an interesting thing there, unless the law has changed since uh, what I read was written, is you can't build anything new higher than seven floors anywhere within the city limits. In any case, I talked about the top six being the big leagues. Well, uh, UAE, just a reminder from what we discussed before, is the number seven rated league in the Confederation, but this is the most successful club in the country's history. They've won their league title 13 times, and most recently 2017-18, and they've won this entire event before the Champions League. They uh, got to hoist the trophy in 2003. They're the only club from UAE to ever do that. They qualified by finishing fourth in the 2018-19 season for this year's version of the event. In the league, they are just in sixth place right now, and they are six points outside of a Champions League slot with only three matches to go in that season, so they really need to make this count. Uh, very average on the offense and the defense. Uh, they do have the tied for number six league-leading scorer, a gentleman from Togo named uh, Koje Laba. He is a forward. The best club he's probably ever played for was in Morocco, R.S. Burkane, one of Africa's best leagues. He was there from 2016 to 2019. Match number five. And now we're on to the Sunday portion of our weekly calendar, and we're headed to the Bundesliga. But not in Germany. The other Bundesliga, Austria. This is the number 10 rated league in all of Europe. That's up two spots from a year ago. They just uh, bypassed Ukraine and Turkey. Uh, as such, they get one Champions League playoff round berth. That's the round right before the group stage. They also get a second team, but that one has to start in the second qualifying round. And then they get to send, I believe, three teams to the uh, soon-to-be inaugural Europa Conference League. That's going to be the new tertiary international tournament in Europe behind the Europa League. Now, uh, this league just split into its championship and relegation groups, as so many uh, leagues do around the world, particularly in Europe, about uh, two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through the season. It's going to be a double round robin for this last part of the season, and they're just one match in. Your matchup, number B, Rapid Vienne, taking on number one, uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Uh, Salzburg are ahead of them by four, Sort of. I mean, that's official, and I'll explain by a moment. And then Rapid Vienne lead LASK by four. So that's where things are looking for the uh, Champions League uh, bursts that get to come out of this league. Now, the reason I hesitate to say what they're ahead by is it's true, but it's not what was going to be the case a match ago, and not because of the results. A few leagues in the world do this. When they start their championship round and relegation round, they take all the points in the table 
for each of the clubs and they chop them in half, I guess, so things get more uh, dramatic so any big league races uh, can get even closer. And then they round down. Uh, the rounding thing is important because if there is a tie in the standings at the end and it matters for, say, an international berth or relegation, then uh, a team that lost a half a point gets it added back. And Rapid VN will have that uh, very small advantage potentially if they manage to catch up with RB Salzburg. First, we'll talk about Rapid VN. They are located in the district of uh, Penzing in western Vienna, a little town called Hudeldorf. And uh, this is almost what I think in America we would call an exurb. It's about 100,000 people, but huge, vast green spaces. This is not your interior urban uh, working class sort of area and club. Uh, art history folks might know that symbolist painter Gustav Klimt was from this district. As far as the footy, uh, this is one of the great clubs there historically. They have won the league title 32 times, though... It's been a while, thank you, RB Salzburg. The last one they won was in 2007-2008. Best they've done internationally, they made the Champions League group stage back in 2005-06. Uh, this year in the Champions League, they beat uh, Croatian side Lokomotiva in the second qualifying round before they lost to Yent from Belgium in the third qualifying round. Dropped down to the Europa League, and that is where they finished third in the group stage. Last year, they were second place in this league. That happened a bunch in recent years, to be perfectly honest. They are uh, they hold the second-best offense. The defensive ranking statistically is number four, but to be honest, about two-thirds of the clubs in this league are all very, very tight in that particular regard. Uh, player to watch for, in my opinion, number three league scorer, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation potentially, Ursan or Urkan Kara. He is a forward, 25 years old, and I say he's the man they want to stop because he is also in the top ten in the league on assists. Meanwhile, RB Salzburg, they actually play in the town of Walsh Seisenheim, which only has about 15,000 people, and it is right on the German border, checkpoint area. Uh, the Red Bull Corporation, or the company that owns Red Bull and distributes it, bought this club in 2005. Interesting side note, they actually can't use the RB or Red Bull officially when they're participating in UEFA competitions because of rules about having corporate sponsorships right in the name. Uh, give a little perspective overall for the continent. Uh, FIFA would rank this club right at about number 25, I believe. Uh, in the Champions League group stage, uh, well, they made the Champions League group stage rather the last two years. They have won 14 league titles, and they are the seven-time defending champions. Uh, best offense by far. They are scoring over three goals per match, and then they also sport the third-best defense. Now, I've got to believe he's still going to be invested because you play to win. Interesting point, though. By a mile, the number one league scorer in the Austrian Bundesliga is a guy from Zambia, 22-year-old forward named Patson Daka. And I'm sure you've been hearing his name because it was uh, fairly recently announced that he will officially be joining uh, Barcelona this summer on a deal. Hopefully, he's still invested in seeing this team succeed for his remaining uh, weeks or months there. And then their second best uh, guy in the league on assists is or was Dominic Zoboslai, a midfielder. But I believe he just joined RB Leipzig and became eligible to play for them in January. So it'll be interesting to see if they can hang on to uh, their lead, given that who knows where Daka's mind is and the fact that I believe they're missing Zoboslai. We also have our first uh, U.S. player connection to a non-U.S. team. Uh, Brendan Aronson, who came out of the Philadelphia Union. He plays midfielder for this club now, and he's got a couple of goals and I believe, his first four appearances. Person Noob's three kitten mew sounder, for reasons I won't pretend to understand, has come to signify that it's time for us to take a break from our current tracking of next week's matches and do what we purport to do, and that is actually track. Now is the time in the broadcast when we're going to take a moment and look at a recap for last week's matches. Match number one, we had gone to the Premier League of Bosnia and Herzegovina, and it was number one, FK Sarajevo, coming out on top of number B, Shiroki Brieg, 1-0. And so Shiroki Brieg actually fall to third place, although they're tied in the table with the number two team. They're down a goal differential. Match number B, we had gone to France's League One, number one PSG taking on number B, Lille, and it was the visitors out on top. Lille won the match. 
matched Mill 1. They were actually tied in the table before goal differential was the difference, so now Lil Lille lead PSG by three. Match number three, Germany's Bundesliga. We had number B, RB Leipzig taking on number one, Bayern Munich. Bayern came out on top, nil one. Thomas Mueller, no surprise, had the assist. Match number four, we went to Paraguay for their Primera División. Number one, Libertad was taking on number B, Olympia. Another visitor win, Olympia won nil to one. And man of the match, who we said to look for, was Jorge Recalde. He had the lone goal. Match number five was a final for the 2019-2020 Spanish Copa del Rey. It got put off for months and months because of COVID. And we had Athletic Bilbao taking on Real Sociedad. And it was Real Sociedad taking home the trophy nil one. Sunday, match number six, we went to the uh, Caribbean, St. Kitts and Nevis' Premier League. And they've got a really good race going there. We had a three-way tie going for first. This match was number B, St. Paul's United taking on number one, St. Peter's. St. Peter's, yet another visitor win. St. Peter's won one to two. St. Paul's dropped to third place. They're basically now in a tie with Garden Hotspurs, but they're behind on two different tiebreakers they had to look for. But they also have a match in hand, so still an advantage to them. Monday was match number seven. We went to the Super League of Denmark, where number B, Mituland, took on number one, Granby. The home team this time, Mituland, came out, came out on top 1-0. Player that we had on our list, Sori Kaba, got the goal, and so these two switched places in the table. Match number eight was a Tuesday match. We went to Israel, the Premier League, where we had number one, Maccabi Haifa, taking on number B, Maccabi Tel Aviv, same overall sporting club organization, the Derby of Israel. And fittingly, it went to a 1-1 draw. Wednesday, match number nine, we went to the AFC Asia for their Champions League, a qualifying playoff round with Al Jarafa taking on big Uzbeki underdogs, AGMK. And yes, the underdogs came out on top. We love that. AGMK won nil to one. They spent their time wrapping this one up. They didn't get their goal until the 120th minute. It had to go to added extra time. Thursday was supposed to be match number 10, the FA Cup final in Aruba, the Copa Betico Cross. I believe they ended up switching the dates because now the semifinals are listed for this coming Saturday and the final is going to be on Wednesday. Then we had our three bonus matches. Explanations will be coming on these nearer the end of this full podcast. For the moment, bear with me if you're a first-time listener. Our route of the week, a first versus last place matchup. We went to Northern Ireland's premiership. Last place, Dungannon Swift on number one, Linfield, and it went as you would expect. Linfield came out on top, nil two. All-time great Shane Lavery sealed it with a 90th minute goal. The most meaningless match in the world was a Sunday match. Two very middling teams from North Macedonia. We decided to shed a little line on. Number five, Rabbit Nitschke taking on number six, FK Borg. And this was a weird one. Uh, the result was a 2-1 win for Rabbit Nitschke, but it took him forever to get warmed up, apparently, because Boric actually took a 1-0 lead in the 82nd minute, and then the same guy for Rabbit Nitschke got goals at the 83rd minute and the 90th minute. Nevertheless, being the most meaningless match in the world, there was no change in the table. They stayed in the same positions. And then finally, your two last place teams from the league. The match of disappointment was a Wednesday match in South Korea's new league season, just a few games in. And we had number 11, second to last place, Gwangju FC, taking on last place, number 12, Suwon FC. And Gwangju actually got a 2-0 win. It seems like we fittingly see a lot of nil-nil draws for the match of disappointed. A player from Brazil, I believe, uh, one named guy named Felipe had both goals, and because it's early in the season, this catapulted Guangzhou all the way to number six in the table. Congratulations to them. Not so disappointing after all. And that will conclude your recap from last week's episode. Now let's continue the current week's tracking with... Match number six. Another Sunday match, and we're off to the Pro League of Madagascar. Yes, we're going to learn some interesting things about Malagasy football today. Uh, they are unranked in the uh, African Confederation, the CAF. They've got about the same number of uh, member associations, the same number of leagues as they do in Europe. But for some reason, the CAF only ranks like the top 31 or 32. And uh, the league in Madagascar is not that good yet, but I believe that they are up and coming. Uh, because they're not in the top 12, those are the only ones that get two of each of these. They only get one Champions League berth and then one Confederation Cup berth. That is their version of the Europa League. 
depending on which club you look at, there are about seven to ten matches into the season. Uh, it's divided, the league is divided into two groups, and the top two from each are going to make the championship round. Through 2019, the format was very, very different. There were 24 clubs uh, that would come out of 22 different regional qualifying leagues. Uh, they've since decided to switch to a much more traditionally professional format based at least on what the rest of the world does. They didn't play last year, so this is the first year that they're doing this. Fossa Juniors are the defending champions. Uh, before that, the real powerhouse uh, has been and perhaps still uh, will or could be a club. I'm going to pronounce it CNAPS. Uh, it's capital C-N, lowercase a for stylization, capital P, capital S. CNAPS Sport. They had won six straight titles. Also, interesting side note, something I hadn't known previously, even though I've looked at Madagascar before on my own for this sort of stuff. Uh, soccer is not the national sport there. It's actually rugby union. Go figure. In any case, your matchup is number B, Adema, versus number one, I'm going to pronounce it, Ajasaya, A-J-E-S-A-I-A. -A -A. Uh, these two are in the South group. The two groups are done in North and South, and uh, they're also the two best teams overall by points in the table. Uh, Ajasaya lead Adema by just one, and uh, the second place team in turn leads Ilakaka by seven points. So it's... Uh, not halfway through the season here yet, but I think it's relatively safe to say this is going to be a two-horse race. Uh, first, a little bit about Adima. They play out of the capital city of Antananarivo. It's kind of like, how do you, when do you stop with the na-na-nas in there? But I've been practicing. It is the capital city. It's got about one and a quarter million folks in it. Uh, this club has been to the Champions League twice. Both times were in the mid-2000s. Uh, before that, their best international finish, they had been to the Confederation Cup and made the quarterfinals. They have won the league title three different times, most recently in 2012. In the last full season that they got to play, 2019, they finished in, uh, in second place. Uh, this year, they are sporting the second-best defense, just a little bit worse statistically on offense, and they have been on an absolute tear. They actually opened the season with a loss to Ilakaka, and then they had, uh, in their first match with Ajasaya, which was their second match of the season, they had a nil-nil draw, and they have been laying waste to their competition ever since, having gone 7-0. and oh. Now, if you're saying to yourself, Self, this club seems like it's tickling something in the back of my mind. Well, this is something that hadn't been in the back of my mind to tickle, but it sure is fun and fascinating. This club won a game back in 2002 against a club called SOE by a score of 149 to nil. You heard that right, 149 to nil. They were all own goals. There had been some sort of refereeing decision that SOE uh, didn't take very kindly to. I don't know exactly what it was, uh, but rather than simply walk off the pitch, they took things a whole couple of steps further and just started booting the ball into their own goal over and over and over. Apparently, the refs don't have to stop that sort of thing on a spirit of the game sort of rule. In any case... Uh, Ajasaya, your number one team right now, they also play out of the capital city. I believe there are four teams that play in the capital proper from this league, and I'm assuming they all use the same one. I know these two do. Uh, they went to the Champions League in 2010 and the Confederation Cup in 2007. Didn't really make any noise either time. Uh, that Those appearances were preceded by the only two league titles that they won, so the most recent one was 2009. In the 2019, the most recent season, they finished in eighth place. So they were last place in the championship round that particular year for that format. Uh, this year, they are 7-2-0, and, oh, and they have won five straight matches. They've got the best offense in the league going. They score over two times per game and the best defense. So these are going to be your favorites probably even on the road. They let in less than a goal on average every other match. And interesting side note, we talked about a feeder agreement with a club with La Liga earlier. This club has a feeder club uh, agreement with somebody as well, but not nearly as highly placed in Europe. It's with a club out of Reunion, a French territory. And the French territory leagues uh, comprise the sixth tier of French football. The club is called uh, SS St. Paulouise, if I'm getting the pronunciation right. That club, in turn, and I'm surprised that it jumps all the way up, they have a feeder agreement with French Giants and uh, League One stars Lyon. Match number seven. 
All right, after a chock full of footy weekend, you get Monday off to catch your breath, new bites, if I may refer to you as such. And then we look ahead to Tuesday. Our match number seven comes to us out of the uh, Champions League, where it's going to be PSG taking on Bayern Munich. PSG won the first round of this Champions League two-legged tie, three to two. And that's about all I'm going to tell you about that one. So for the third time this podcast, we're not going to do a full mini preview per se. This is just one of those times where I like to defer to other podcasts and instead learn something that's only a little bit about soccer or is about the area. In this case, I wanted to look at club anthems. So first, we're going to listen to uh, some of Ale Paris, which has been more recently recorded, as you might imagine, but it was originally done by a Belgian actress and singer named Annie Cordy. And you'll be able to tell by the sound quality that this goes all the way back to 1971. So maybe even longer time uh, football fans and even PSG fans may not be as familiar with the original. We're going to follow that immediately up by one for Bayern Munich, and this is uh, one of several anthems or uh, club songs that they have. I don't know if this is the original recording and version, or if this is somewhat more modernized, but it is Star of the South, I believe in German, it's Stern uh, des Sudens, I'm probably butchering the German, but it is uh, Southern Star, or Star of the South by Willie Astor, and then we'll trail off from those and just head into our next match. So, Enjoy your musical interlude. Another Tuesday match, and here's the hoping this is as fun as the first leg of this was. I'll be explaining shortly, of course. We're headed for match number eight to CONCACAF, the Champions League. They're in their round of 16. The first matches of these two-legged ties have all already been played, so now we're going to be talking about one of the second legs. And the match is Cruz Azul, one of the powers out of Mexico in Liga MX, versus Arcai out of Haiti. I believe I covered them once before for something. A-R-C-A-H-A-I-E. I had found something I thought was in, maybe was a French pronunciation that separated out that mess of vowels in a much more difficult way for myself. So we're going to go with Archai this time. In any case, they are out of Haiti. And amazingly, they got a nil-nil draw in the first leg several days ago. Now, the winner is going to get to play either Olympia, uh, which is a team out of, qualified out of Honduras, or Club America out of Liga MX. First, we'll talk a little bit about Cruz Azul. Uh, they qualified for the uh, CONCACAF Champions League by uh, finishing, sort of. They were in the number one spot in the 2020 Clausura stage when it was abandoned due to COVID. In the current stage, uh, which is also a Clausura, they would be number one, or rather they are number one, they really should be number two, but Club America got docked to win over an ineligible player. In any case, uh, they're doing very well statistically tied for number one in the league in uh, offense and defense both. Player to look for, top 10 on the scoring leaderboard. They do like to spread it around. This guy gets a little bit more than the others on their team. Jonathan uh, Rodriguez out of Uruguay plays forward. Love his nickname. It means like little-headed one or just little-head, cabecita. And then tied for number one in assists in the league uh, is Luis Romo. And I always love when uh, guys who uh, play in more traditionally defensive positions are getting in on the offense. He plays a lot of center back and defensive midfielder. But there he is uh, getting a lot of crosses and good passes in. Okay, meanwhile, the fun part, Arcai. Uh, first of all, that is a town in the West Department, O-U-E-S-T. If that rings a bell, the big earthquake back in 2010 that hit Haiti, uh, this is where it was centered. Uh, this particular town is a West Central Port town. It's got probably just under 150,000 people in it. 
either conditions are such or just the size and uh, general nature of the stadium. They can't even host uh, Confederation matches here. The first leg actually had to be played in Santo Domingo, uh, even when they do play matches there. It only seats about 1,000. Hades League, just so you know, their League One, as it's called, is only rated number 11 in CONCACAF. So let that really sink in and tell you how big a deal it was that they got that nil-nil result. I don't believe from what I've read they'd ever gotten a result against any Mexican team in any capacity before. So just amazing. This is their first uh, Champions League, specifically. Uh, they finished uh, fourth in the CONCACAF League to qualify for this, the Champions League. That's simply a, a feeder tournament with uh, mostly Caribbean and Central American teams. They were the 2019-20 League Champions. That is the only time they've ever won the league title. Uh, this year, in the first stage, which just ended a couple of weeks ago, they won the regular season and then lost in the uh, playoff final. They're only like a game or two into the second stage season of their soccer year. And there, for what it's worth, they are tied for number one on offense and uh, number uh, B, if you will, on defense. Now, uh, based on uh, discussions with uh, co-host Person Noob, she has decided because she got to read about them in uh, one of the matches that she got to read the entirety of the mini preview for, that Cruz Azul is one of her favorite teams. She also likes that they're sort of cursed in Mexico, and they, while they do okay internationally, they never quite manage to do things domestically. But they're on the edge of winning a championship down there this year. Uh, good luck to Arkai from me, just because who wouldn't love to be an upset? And good luck to Cruz Azul on behalf of Person Noob. Match number nine. Our third and final Tuesday match takes us to UEFA, the women's side of things, for the 2022 European Championships qualifying event. Now, the group stage recently completed. Here was the format. There were nine groups. All the winners automatically advanced, as you might imagine. And then the three best second-place teams also got to automatically advance, but the other second place finishes are not done. Those six, they had a random draw to see who each would play in a two-legged tie. Winner's going to advance, loser's going to go home. Matchup that I've picked for you is number 32 Northern Ireland versus number 17 UEFA ranked Ukraine. Now, far and away, Northern Ireland is the lowest uh, ranked or seeded team left in this thing. Now, uh, a quick and important note. This Tuesday match will be the second leg. Uh, because the first event was on Friday, we weren't going to know how that turned out. But the second one, if you can find it on TV, is going to be the more dramatic one. So wanted to tell you about it in this context. In any case, a little bit about each team. First, the gals from Ukraine, or as they are known for their nickname, I believe it is pronounced Zinky, Z-H-I-N-K-Y, which if I'm not mistaken, and that could be a big if, I believe that simply translates to women from Ukrainian, although there could be some uh, deeper meaning to that particular term. I'm not fully aware of the context. In any case, that's the nickname. Ukraine, they have never been to the World Cup. They have been to the group stage of the uh, European Championships before, though. That was uh, in 2009, though. This year in the group stage, they went 5-0-3, scored uh, two goals per match. They let in more than that, but you have to kind of take the stats with a grain of salt because each of these group stages, more or less, was led uh, by a big powerhouse, like in this case, Germany, that laid waste to absolutely anybody else. There's not a lot of parity necessarily in a lot of aspects for the women's game. Uh, but it was a bit of a race to get to that second place spot, and Ukraine beat Republic of Ireland by only two points for second place. Who to watch for? Well, there were two gals that had three goals in the group stage each, and I believe the one that is more likely to be your woman of the match is going to be for Ukraine, a gal named Daria Kravitz. Um, she's got these goals despite the fact that she traditionally plays a defender, and she plays that position for uh, League One's uh, or the Division uh, Feminine in France, uh, ROMS, R-E-I-M-S. She's also spent some time with another really good club in Kazakhstan that I like to follow, B-I-I-K. Kazakert. They're easily the smallest country in Europe that has a really strong women's game. And for this team, we did find a USA connection. They've got a Canadian-born Ukrainian player. Uh, she gets to play for the Ukrainian team because both of her parents um, are from Ukraine. Nicole Koslova. She plays forward for them. The American connection is that she played her ball at Virginia Tech. I don't think that she's playing for anybody right now outside of the uh, Ukrainian women's uh, 
national team. The last thing I found a record for is that she played for a semi-pro league in Ontario called League One for a team called Woodbridge Strikers. But in any case, there's your USA connection. Meanwhile, your underdogs, Northern Ireland. Interesting side note to start. This just makes this that much a bigger deal for them. Uh, they cannot be repped as a country in the upcoming Olympics. Uh, UEFA considers each of the nations within England to be separate entities for this purpose. But for the Olympics, they just consider the UK all one great big thing. Now, Northern Ireland, as you might imagine, they've never been to the World Cup. In fact, they've never even uh, gotten to uh, the European Championships proper. And they're barely in this match. In their group, they were dominated statistically overall by Wales in the group stage. But they tied on points in the table, and the tiebreaker was away goals. Northern Ireland had two. Wales did not happen to have any, so they are still alive. Now, they went 4-2-2 uh, two and two in the group stage, uh, very even for goal differential, 17-17. and 17. Norway won this group by uh, leaps and bounds. Uh, they also, just like Ukraine, had two gals that scored three goals each. I believe the key person to look for here is going to be a gal who plays for uh, Everton's club and has since 2013, a forward named Simone McGill. And also, a, a fun note about her, if her name... Uh, tickles anything in the back of your mind. I believe she is the record holder of women's football for the fastest international goal ever scored at the 2016 European qualifiers against the Republic of Georgia. She managed to score a goal in 11 seconds, which beat the old record by American Alex Morgan by one second. So interesting side note for you there as well. Good luck to both these teams. And I have to admit, I'm rooting for Northern Ireland just because who doesn't love an underdog? And match number 10, we're done. Finally! And this final one of the at least, quote, official, end quote, tend to track. Yes, we still have our three fun bonus matches to go. Is a Wednesday match, and we're headed back to Asia once more, to Syria specifically for their Premier League. This is the number 22 rated league in all of AFC, so just above average out of their 46. As such, they could get one Champions League berth. They have the right to it for their champion. But if that team cannot get an AFC Champions League license, then they will get to start off in the Asian Cup group stage. That's sort of their version of the Europa League. I've talked about it before. won't get into the particulars now. The second place team will get to go to the Asian Cup group stage if the champion manages to get an AFC Champions license, which doesn't always happen, I don't gather, with this league for some particular reason. But things are getting very dramatic as far as the league season. There are only five matches left. And your matchup, second time we've covered this one, though, as you might imagine, the home and away teams have switched now, is number one, Tishreen versus number B, Aljaish. Tishreen lead in the table by five right now, so a win would really wrap things up for them, more or less. Meanwhile, Aljaish lead uh, third place, Hatin by four. So it looks like it's going to be down to these two with that few matches to go. And the match that we covered earlier this season at Aljaish went to a 1-1 draw. Still, let's review the teams, just because I know a lot of people are discovering this show for the first time. Tishreen, they are known as the Sailors, and they play out of the city of uh, Latakia, which is named for a uh, ruler from the, uh, a female ruler, I believe, from the uh, Seleucid, I'm going to pronounce it, empire, which would have been sometime between like 300 uh, BC and sometime, uh, right around, or sometime right around the life of Christ. I didn't happen to catch which one. In any case, this is the main port city for the country, and it's also a big industrial center. Uh, before the Syrian Civil War, it was a city of probably about 350,000-ish. Now I gather it's a lot more because of all the refugees, but I don't know how many more. They may not even know. It's in the northwest part of the country. was the fourth biggest city. Again, that may have changed. They've got uh, two other uh, Division I clubs that also play in Latakia. The club, they have three league titles to their credit historically. They're the defending champions, in fact, although that was the first time that they'd won it any time in the 2000s. Uh, they are going to be playing in the Asian Cup in May. They could not get an uh, AFCCL license for whatever reason. As far as league play, they have won six straight matches. They have the best offense in the entire league. They average over two and a half goals per match, and they, have, uh, they are tied for having the second best defense 
statistically in the league. Uh, tied for number four in league scoring, sort of, is a guy named Al Dali is his last name. But I phrase it that particular way because it's going to be interesting. They've been winning matches without him, apparently, but you've got to wonder you know, how long maybe that could last. Uh, they sold this guy or he moved on in some capacity to a very good team in uh, Kuwait called Al Arabi. Meanwhile, Al Jaish, they play out of the capital city, Damastic. Damascus, rather. Jaish means army. I don't know if they're still directly connected to the armed forces, but that is the very least the historical connection. They've been to the Champions League a couple times, early mid-2000s. They played there. They won the Asian Cup in 2004, so this is a team with uh, that that it can hang its hat on. 17 league titles to their credit, and they had won four in a row before last season, so they are looking to retake their crown. Last year, they only finished number four. Uh, this year, they're kind of on a mediocre stretch. Three wins, no draws, two losses in their last five. Uh, second best offense, they slip a little bit further down on defense. That might be a tiny bit of an Achilles heel for them. Tied for number two in the league in scoring, this guy's actually still with their team, is Mohamed Awakid. He's a veteran, 35 years old. This is his second go-around with Al Jay, strangely enough. In between, he was with a very good team, but in a lesser league, uh, he was with uh, Barani's number one side, Al Rifa, uh, in the 2016-17 season. And now it is time for perhaps my favorite part of the podcast, the bonus matches. First of all, thank you very much for following me on Twitter. If you do, my handle there is Soccer Noob USA. And if you do or found them, thank you very much for voting in the polls. For each of the three bonus matches, and this will get explained as I go, I throw up their qualifying matches, and then those candidates get voted on by you. Our first matchup is going to be one of the world's top flight first versus last place matches. The one you have selected. Dear daughter Persinoob, how do we refer to this match, please? With echo sound effect. Route, 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 route. Of, 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 of. The week, 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 week. Uh, so cute, so precious, and yet it leads right into what's going to probably just be utter bloodshed. Your route of the week match is a Sunday match, and it comes from the Croatian First Football League. This is the number 18-rated league in UEFA. That's up to from a year ago. They uh, passed up Switzerland and Greece. They get a Champions League berth for the first qualifying round. There are two ECL berths. They'll get to start in the second qualifying round. They play four-round robins. Uh, in this league each year. They're about three quarters of the way through the season. So this will be the fourth matchup between number 10 and soon to be roadkill Lokomotiva versus number one Dynamo Zagreb. Now Dynamo Zagreb is not going to fall, I don't think, for any sort of trap match. They can't afford to. They are tied with Osiek in the table for number one. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side, uh, Lokomotiva, they're not that far away from safety. They trail uh, Virajdin by three points to climb out of the lone relegation spot in this league. Now, uh, DZ also lead by 13 on goal differential, so I don't think they'll necessarily be looking to have, have to absolutely route this team. I think they're just going to try to get their win get starters out of there, rest them for the next matches. In any case, let's take a look first at Lokomotiva. They actually also play out of the city of Zagreb, but that said, this isn't really considered a derby, and I've never heard that before, at least not a very important one, even though they're in the same city. The biggest rival for Dynamo Zagreb is actually Hajduk Split, just probably based on either regionality or uh, just the fact that uh, for a long time, Hajduk was also very, very good. They're still okay. In any case, uh, also interesting side note, Lokomotiva, they have not been in the first division for decades and decades. They only came up about 12 years ago. Up until 2006, they had been playing way down, like in the fourth division, and, and they were, in fact, a feeder team for Dynamo Zagreb. But then, remarkably, they had three straight promotions and got all the way to the first flight. This year, not looking so good as if they might stay there. In fact, as the season winds down, they're not peaking. They've lost four straight. They haven't won any, they haven't, uh, won any game since February 12th, in fact, and they haven't even scored in their last three matches. Uh, they do have a little international history to them. They made the Europa League in 2015-16 and actually got to the playoff round, almost the group stage. And then they lost this year in the second qualifying round to uh, Rapid Vienna. And I say this year because last year 
they got uh, they tied for number two in the league, which at the time was good for a Europa League berth. This year, they are woeful, 4, 8, and 15. Their goal differential is just 18, 4, and 45 against. They've got the worst offense in the league. The defense isn't much better than that. Uh, with little offense they're managing, uh, probably their best all-around offensive player is Indrit Tusi, T-U-C-I. hope I'm getting that right. He's from Albania. Could be Tushi, I suppose. He's an attacker, only 20 years old. Uh, three goals on the season, no assists, not that great on the stats, but this team will take anything they can get, apparently. Uh, meanwhile, you're soon to certainly be a victorious team from Dynamo Zagreb. This is, uh, UEFA considers them about the number 33 ranked team in the continent. That puts them right between Sporting CP, one of the perennial greats in Portugal, and Lazio out of uh, Serie A in Italy. Uh, that said, not a ton of recent international success, at least not as far as the Champions League. They made the group stage, but that was all the way back in 1998-99. They finished uh, in second place in their group at the time. That wasn't good enough to advance. This year, uh, they're playing in the Europa League currently in the quarterfinals. That's a two-legged affair. They're playing against Villarreal from La Liga in Spain. Uh, they lost the first leg, nil one. Uh, leg two is still to come. Whoever wins that, just as a side note, will either get to play Arsenal or Slavia Prague, which oddly enough may also went that went to a 1-1 draw. So Slavia Prague is still very much alive. In any case, back to Dynamo Zagreb. 21 league titles. And in fact, they have won every single title going back to 2005-2006, except for the 2016-17 season. Uh, number one on offense by a bit. They score almost two and a half a game. They don't even let in one goal per match. That's good for second best in the league there. They've got two guys tied for number three in the league in scoring. Uh, the one that caught my eye was Mario Gavranovic, Swiss player, a forward, uh, because he played uh, from 2010 to 12. He's a real veteran. He played for Schalke, although uh, one of the seasons they loaned him out to a different team, Mainz, and then the other year they had him, he actually played with their B side. He was a little bit younger back then, of course. Uh, he's better known probably in Europe for his last few most productive seasons as a starter with Zurich over in his home country of Switzerland. And then he played for Croatian side uh, Rijeka, I believe it's pronounced R-I-J-E-K-A. In any case, the new prediction, usually I either go with a 4 or a 5-0 win, but I think Zagreb's going to shut it down once they get a very good lead here. I believe the final score will be 0-3 in favor of the favorites. Our second bonus match, which is a Sunday one, in fact, the third one will be as well, is one of the matches that I think most perhaps sets this podcast apart, makes it somewhat unique. Naturally, virtually all podcast hosts like to focus on the best teams from the biggest leagues, or at least in this case, sometimes we go to some of the smaller leagues and big tournament matches. But in any case, teams doing very, very well and on top of things. Also near the end of seasons in particular, sometimes we will look at teams that are uh, hovering on the edge of or within the drop zone. Teams about to be relegated, potentially, knocked down to second divisions, perhaps near to be heard from again. Perfectly natural to cover those. But what do we do here with Team Noob? We scour every single top flight division one in the world that we can find looking for a matchup of teams that is perfectly middling. We're both teams, even if it's not quite perfectly in the middle of the standings, they are perfectly equidistant from the league's lowest international berth slot and the last relegation zone spot. Boy, is that a mouthful. Person noob, sing the song with me and let the people know what this is. Could you be... The most meaningless match in the world. Yes, you could. You're so boring. (laughs) With apologies to the late Prince, yes, the most meaningless match in the world. And the one that you have selected is from the Bosnia and Herzegovina Premier League, which is the number 36 rated league in UEFA, up four from a year ago. So they're starting to flirt with uh, getting to the halfway or average point. Uh, They still only get one team to the Champions League. Three teams go to the Europa Conference League. Two teams are going to get relegated. And none of that will likely matter because this is the most meaningless match in the world. Neither of these teams should likely find themselves in any danger of uh, getting relegated or any chance of real glory between now and the end or the last quarter of the season. Your matchup is number seven, FK Tuzla City versus number eight, 
Sloboda Tuzla. So it's a Tuzla Derby, although I didn't see any record that they specifically call it that. In any case, Tuzla City Trail, number three, Shiroki Brieg by six points. That's the team that's going to get the last uh, international tournament for a slot as things stand right now. They lead, there's quite a gap. They lead Sloboda, uh, Sloboda Tuzla by actually 13 points. That team, in turn, they're a, they're a fair ways away from relegation. They lead number 11, Olympic Sarajevo, by five points. These teams have already played twice this season. Uh, Tuzla City got a road win, nil two in their favor. But then on the other side, uh, Sloboda, man, or Sloboda, got to get my emphases on the right syllable, did get a 1-1 draw when they went on the road. First, a little bit about Tuzla City. They play actually out of a town, a very little town, I believe to the east of Tuzla, called Simon Han. Uh, Tuzla is a city of about 125,000, uh, northeast part of the country, very multicultural, and, interesting side note, happens to be home to Europe's only salt lake that's at the center of a city. Uh, in fact, the word Tuzla is uh, based on Turkish, and it basically means salt mine. Now, in 2018-19, that was the first time Tuzla City even got to the top division, even though they were founded all the way back in 1955. So, a little bit belated, but welcome, Tuzla City, to top flight footy. Last year, they did pretty well, number five, which at the time, uh, but they didn't end up using that season because of COVID. Uh, it would have actually put them in a position to compete in the Europa League. Alas, that did not happen for them, and not likely to this year. They haven't lost in six straight matches, though. At the very least, they are trending upward. Uh, pretty average on statistics, though. They're right where they should be for the most part. Team leading score, possible man in the match to look for, is Vojo Ubaparip. He is a Serbian. I'm probably butchering his name, an attacker. And he's been around the block for a while, but mostly played in uh, East and Central Europe. Meanwhile, Sloboda, belated happy birthday to your club, uh, the Centenary. They are 102 years old now. By the way, that word Sloboda means freedom, or specifically in context, it more refers to like a free city or a free settlement. Um... The other teams, UEFA rank, didn't happen to jump out at me, but this one did for some reason. you got to go a ways down the ranking to find this club. They're ranked about number 377 in Europe, so this isn't a team that's going to be competing in the uh, Champions League probably anytime soon. Uh, they, in fact, just got back to Division One. I. I believe they yo-yoed for a while in 2013-14. Their best league finish ever. They finished in second place in 2015-16. Got to the Europa League, but they lost to an Iranian, or not Iranian, Israeli club in the first qualifying round. Last year, they only finished about where they are now. They finished in number nine. Uh, and after five straight losses, they were really on a slide. They just beat a very good team that's probably going to get one of those ECL spots in Zelyeznikar. Number eight on offense, number eight on defense. Really not much sign that they're going to be able to climb any further, really, especially now with that 13-point gap between them and the home team today. Team leading scorer, a man to look for, is Zenis Begonovic. He's got five goals for them. And a fun side note, I love those. He actually played for Tuzla City last year. So good luck to both clubs, even though none of it means anything. And now at last, here at the 13th match, Yes, on the 10 to track, I know. We don't believe in math here. What can I say? I don't want to give up any of my regular matches, and I like me bonus matches. Nevertheless, we have come to the end of our podcast road, and as always, we do not end on notes of happiness or joy or celebration, but rather of stern disapproval for these teams, of wailing and gnashing of teeth. I put up, and wow, it was a lot, nine qualifying first versus last place matches in the world. That's the most I've ever seen. There's a lot, a lot of sadness in the footy world this week. And the match you have chosen is going to come from the Gabia, Gambia in Africa. And this match is what we sadly call the match of... Disappointed! Ooh, it sends shivers down my spine, the Herculean disdain we get from actor Kevin Sorbo there. Thank you very much for your efforts. To the Gambia we go, a tiny little country on the far western tip of northern Africa. Uh, just like the Malagasy match that we covered earlier, uh, the CAF doesn't rank this team. It's not in the top 31 or 32. They're almost halfway through the season there. Two teams are going to get relegated, and it's looking so far like it's these two. We have last place, number 14, Banjul taking on second up last place, Talending United. 
Uh, Talending, they're actually not that far from safety. A lot of season to go to, but they trade Waladon by one, and then they in turn also lead Banjul by two points. So all hope is not lost. Just most of it, I would like to think, for the match of Disappointed. Uh, also disappointing, I wasn't able to find out a whole ton about uh, Gambian soccer, but here's what I've got. Uh, Banjul, first of all, that's not only the name of the club, that is in the name of the capital city. Uh, the greater area has 400,000. The city proper, however, is on St. Mary's Island, right in the middle of basically a river mouth heading into the Atlantic. So the city proper's only got about 40,000 people. Overall, this, I think that still makes it like the fourth biggest area in the Gambia. In any case, a predominantly Muslim area, as is so much of Northern Africa, and is regionally famous for its peanut processing. Yeah, that's not so disappointing. Who doesn't enjoy peanuts unless you're allergic? In any case, wasn't able to find out much, as I said. If this is the same club as Banjul United, and I don't know at all that it is, I just can't seem to find them both in the same room at the same time. They did win the FA Cup in 2014. I don't believe they've ever won the league uh, the league table before. This year, they are a woeful 1-4-5. and five. Just six goals scored against 12 against. Although there is a light at the, this part of the tunnel for them, if you will, they just got their first win of the season. At, it was an impressive one. They got to play uh, what is right now second place armed forces team. They managed to beat them. Congratulations. But you've still got the second worst offense in the entire league. What little hope you have does rest on the defense. They're just a little bit above average on defense, actually, statistically. Meanwhile, Talending United, they, I have got even less on them, but here you go. They are 1-6-4 and four on the year, 9-12 and 12 for your cold differential, ninth best offense. Uh, they're the team that uh, Banjul is tied for on defense. That's number six. They got their only two win two matches ago against Maramu. I would wish you good luck, but instead, in honor of Persanoob, who's away this weekend and everything we're getting from her is uh, pre-recorded, a Bronx cheer for you. You are not welcome to stay anywhere but above the garage. If either of you sad sack losers decides to come home for dinner, disappointed. And that'll wrap up episode number 28 of the Tenda Track. Thank you to the management very much for his editing duties, to Dan, the former Interno Inferno, for his ongoing support and efforts, of course, to my dear daughter, Person Noob, and to you. Thanks so much for tuning in one more time. I'm Soccer Noob USA on Twitter. I hope you can find me there, and I hope you'll use Twitter or the other social media to tell people about the show. We really endeavor to try to put together something that's fun and unique. We hope that you'll tune in next time. Until then, have a fabulous footy week. Take care. Hey.